I want to talk a little bit today about um, the Madhukundika Sutta, the Hannibal Sutta. I love it. It's a wonderful sutta and it's helped me um, stay more steady and balanced, particularly when I'm practicing with it um, purposefully and over periods of time. And I would like to read some of it. Um, and then talk about some of it. It's a it's a fun sutta in that it's as many of them are. It's, it's a story about the time and about the place um, that it was told. It's a story about the people that have gathered around uh, the Buddha. It's a story about the Buddha's disciples and who he trusts, you know, to expound on his teachings. Um, it's a story about uh, admonishment and um, and praise. It's, it's just a, a quite a lovely, quite a lovely sutta. So you can just kind of you know, fall back into meditation uh, a little bit, and I'll do some reading and uh, a little bit of commentary, and then we'll just talk about it a little bit. So as, as the suttas begin, uh, thus have I heard. On one occasion, the Blessed One was living in the Sakyan country at Kapila Vatu in Nikoroda's park. Then, when it was morning, the Blessed One dressed and taking his bowl and outer robe went into Kapila Vatu for alms. When he had wandered for alms in Kapilavatu and had returned from his alms round, after his meal he went to the great wood for the day's abiding and entered the great wood and sat down at the root of a bilva sapling for the day's abiding. Dandapani, the Sakyan, while walking and wandering for exercise, also went to the great wood. And when he had entered the great wood, he went to the bilva sapling where the Blessed One was an exchange greetings with him. When this courteous and amiable talk was finished, he stood at one side, leaning on his stick and asked the blessed one, what does the recluse assert? What does he proclaim? Uh, so basically, uh, what do you teach? What, what are you saying? What is your life about? And the Buddha says, friend, I assert and proclaim my teaching in such a way that one does not quarrel with anyone in the world. With its gods, its maras, its brahmas, and this generation with its recluses and brahmins, its princes and its people, in such a way that perceptions no more underlie that brahmin who abides detached from sensual pleasures without perplexity, shorn of worry, free from craving for any kind of being. I don't argue with anyone. And neither should you. <laughs> when this was said, Dandapani, the Sakyan, shook his head, wagged his tongue, raised his eyebrows until his forehead was puckered in three lines. I see some Dandapanis in the room. 
Then he departed, leaning on his stick. Then when it was evening, the Blessed One rose from meditation and went to Negrota's park, where he sat down on the seat made ready for him and told the bhikkhus what had taken place. Then a certain bhikkhu asked the Blessed One, but, venerable sir, how does the Blessed One assert and proclaim his teaching in such a way that he does not quarrel with anyone in the world, with its gods, its maras, its brahmas, and this generation, and its gener in this generation with its recluses and brahmins, its princes and its people? And, venerable sir, how is it that perceptions no more underlie the Blessed One, that Brahmin who abides detached? From sensual pleasures, without perplexity, shorn of worry, free for, from craving for any kind of being. So what do you mean your teachings don't quarrel with anything? How could they not conflict with anything? Everyone who comes through here has his own opinion, his own view. There are teachers all over the world. You know, the Buddha was born into a religious life. He didn't invent it. There was already plenty of, you know, uh, priests and Brahmins and teachers, spiritual leaders. So how could he? How could he be teaching in a way that doesn't quarrel with anything? Bhikkhu, as to the source through which perceptions and notions born of mental proliferation beset a man... If nothing is found there to delight in, welcome, and hold to, this is the end of the underlying tendency to lust, to greed, of the underlying tendency to aversion, of the underlying tendency to views, of the underlying tendency to doubt, of the underlying tendency to conceit, which means to compare, of the underlying tendency to desire for being, I'm someone, I'm something, of the underlying tendency to ignorance, this is the end of resorting to rods and weapons, of quarrels, brawls, disputes, recrimination, malicious words, false speech. Here these evil, unwholesome states cease without remainder. This is what the Blessed One said. Having said this, the Sublime One rose from his seat and went into his dwelling. Then, soon after the Blessed One had gone, the bhikkhus considered. Now, friends, the Blessed One has risen from his seat and gone into his dwelling after giving a summary in brief without expounding the detailed meaning. Now, who will expound this in detail? Can someone please explain to me what he just said? <laughs> I don't quite understand. Then they considered the venerable Maha Kachana is praised by the teacher and esteemed by his wise companions in the holy life. He is capable of expounding the detailed meaning. Suppose we went to him and asked him the meaning of this. 
And the bhikkhus went to the venerable Maha Kachana and exchanged greetings with him. When this courteous and amiable talk was finished, they sat down to one side and told him what had taken place, what had taken place, adding, let the venerable Maha Kachana expound it to us. <clears throat> The Venerable Mahakachana replied, friends, it is as though a man needing heartwood, seeking heartwood, the heart of the teachings. Thought that heartwood should be sought for among branches and leaves of a great tree standing possessed of heartwood after he had passed over the next, the root and the trunk. And so it is with you, venerable sirs, that you think I should be asked about the meaning of this after you passed the blessed one by, when you were face to face with the teacher. What are you asking me for? <laughs> you were just in there with the Buddha. <laughs> for knowing the blessed one knows seeing, seeing he sees, he is vision, he is knowledge, he is Dhamma, he is the Holy One, he is the sayer, the proclaimer, the elucidator, he's really trying to get to these folks that they had the source right in front of them a minute ago. The elucidator of meaning, the giver of the deathless, the Lord of the Dhamma, the Tathagata, that was the time you should have asked the Blessed One the meaning. As he told you, so you should have remembered it. Yeah, so these suttas, uh, we're not even to the sutta yet. We're not, <laughs> we're not even to the teaching yet. Uh, but, you know, just like Ajahn Chah says, everyone, everything is teaching us. Oh, I got Patty in the waiting room. Oh, no, what do we do? Okay, admit. Everything is teaching us. So with these suttas, too, everything is teaching us. You know, the, the preamble and the preface and the chit-chat among the monks, uh, even the setting, we can learn from, from these stories. <clears throat> Surely, friend Kachana, knowing the Blessed One knows, seeing he sees, he is vision, the Tathagata. That was the time when we should have asked the Blessed One the meaning. As he told us, so we should have remembered it. Yes, the Venerable Maha Kachana is praised by the teacher and esteemed by his wise companions in the holy life. The Venerable Maha Kachana is capable of expounding the detailed meaning of the summary given in brief by the Blessed One without expounding the detailed meaning. But the Venerable Maha Kachana expound it without finding it troublesome. Please, 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 please. That's what that is. Yeah, okay, we get it. Please, but please do it anyway. And then Maha Kachana says, then listen, friends, and attend closely to what I shall say. So I'm just going to read part of it because there is a lot of repeating, but we can talk about it. Dependent on the eye and forms, eye consciousness arises. Eye consciousness arises. The meeting of the three is contact. With contact as condition, there is feeling. What one feels, that one perceives. What one perceives, 
that one thinks about. What one thinks about, that one mentally proliferates. What one has mentally proliferated as the source, perceptions and notions born of mental proliferation beset a man with respect to past, future, and present forms cognizable through the eye and the ear and the nose and the mouth, all of our senses. So dependent on the eye and the forms, a consciousness arises. So here we are engaged in this consciousness that's coming in through our senses. We all have senses and we're all seeing what's in front of us, smelling what's in front of us, hearing what's in front of us. Um, what he's saying is, you know, when that happens, when these three things come in contact, a feeling arises. And in um, how a feeling is described or defined in this uh, tradition and this teaching and the Buddhist teachings is um, it's not the same as an emotion like that kind of feeling it's essentially positive negative or neutral so a positive feeling arises a negative feeling arises or there's some level of neutrality I heard one teacher say neutrality is so fleeting that it's basically pre-positive or pre-negative. <laughs> That's what neutrality is. I probably would agree with that. So there, as soon as we come in contact, as soon as our senses come in contact with something, a feeling arises. It's in the body. It's in the body. And then uh, we perceive that feeling. So instead of perceiving, you know, what is real and what is in front of us and what is, you know, based in reality, we start to pay attention to our own feelings. And meanwhile, you know, we're seeing, you know, the things are um, becoming familiar to us. <clears throat> then, um, we start uh, thinking about our feeling, justifying it, connecting it to the reality in front of us. And then we start that mental proliferation, that papancha. Um, and so I'll use this morning as an example. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Alistair's out for the month and um, Sarah was going to be doing the Zooms. Other Sarah was going to be doing, <laughs> not you, <laughs> was going to be doing the Zooms and she got sick and uh, Tom was our backup, uh, but you know, like in a play, 
you the you train the you train the the person in the role and you train their understudy <laughs> at the same time so that when the person in the role um, has to step out uh, then the understudy already knows all the lines but this is Theravada Buddhism <laughs> this you know one might suggest this is not organized religion <laughs> we you know uh, get along the best we can sometimes. Uh, so Tom came and he came early and um, we weren't sure how we were going to do the Zoom today. And uh, my first thought was, well, you know, it might not happen, right? We can pretend we're uh, pre-pandemic or at the root of a tree. <laughs> Whoever is there is there. It'll be the way it is. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about it, I said to Tom as he's walking upstairs. And then I, I got up here and uh, uh, realized that I didn't even know the password. I couldn't remember it from months ago when I was using it. And uh, that I wouldn't worry about it feeling went straight out of my body. I was really worried about it. <laughs> All of a sudden, I was literally broke out in a sweat you know, like paging through my phone. There's got, this has got to be in here somewhere. And of course, there is no way to remember it while I was in that space of being nervous and anxious. Um, but, you know, my body gave me that feeling, this negative feeling. So something was happening, I got a negative feeling. And then instead of, Staying balanced and staying with reality, my perception moved toward that feeling. So now this is about that. I have a negative feeling. Now that's what I'm going to base my next actions on this negative feeling. How do I fix it? How do I deal with it? What am I going to do? I got to make phone calls. I got to, you know, look through my emails. We got to get it. We got to get it sorted. We got to get it sorted. But all of that, while it was true, we had to get it sorted somehow, you know. I was coming from a place of, um, from that initial feeling that came from the, the sensory contact with, you know, seeing that it, it wasn't working and that, you know, we really didn't know how to get it working. Um, you know, I could see the clock sort of ticking, right? Here, people coming in. Um, consciousness, this sort of consciousness of, oh, this isn't right. You know, this isn't right. <clears throat> then we, then we think back, don't we? But all the other times it wasn't right. You know, then we start to think forward, don't we? Like, will it ever be right? <laughs> will this ever be an organized religion? <laughs> We do that really fast, don't we? Like this is that underlying tendency to conceit, compare, comparing our present situation to our past, comparing our present situation to the future, figuring out how we can fix this so it doesn't happen again. Um, and that that is how the Buddha said, how Maha Katana said, that is how we bring conflict 
into the world. Instead of staying grounded with reality, staying balanced in our body, recognizing that we can learn from what is happening. Instead, we perceive that initial feeling and start moving from that place. And conversely, the bad news is we can do it with really wonderful things too. (laughs) So it's not all aversion, is it? It's, we have greed too. That's our other one. <laughs> That's the other big, the other big one. Greed, aversion, greed, aversion. Like um, last week, I went camping with my kids, and uh, there was we had a, a really wonderful. We had a lot of really great moments, and the best one for me um, was that we had this sort of hammock triangle. There's three hammocks, three trees. And I was in a hammock, and my one kid was in a hammock, and the other kid was in the other hammock. And uh, we did the ABCs of camping. So we went through the alphabet, and with the first uh, letter of A, you know, what, what about camping starts with an A? Air mattress, and so on. B, B uh, bear canister. <laughs> see campsite so on and so forth and we came up with as many as we could of each one so we have 75 camping boards or something by the end of this exercise it was like 20 30 minutes of just uh laying in these um hammocks staring at the trees in the sky reflecting on uh, the experience that we were having free associating camping. And it was very beautiful and very relaxing, very timeless, and uh, uh, very unlike every other moment <laughs> on the camping trip. <laughs> A lot of the other moments were like, I can't get my uh, you know, sleeping bag into my stuff sack. So or, <laughs> it's the end of the world. Or, <laughs> or the waffle maker doesn't, the waffle maker. I won't even explain that one. The waffle maker doesn't work. <laughs> so we have to make pancakes, which are really cat cakes, you know, just like burned hard pucks that are, uh, you know, you can only fix with a lot of syrup. Uh, those are all the other moments, normal camping moments. But we had this one sublime hammock half hour. And, um, and the mind has a tendency to recognize that feeling. Oh, that was really good. Yeah, real positive. You know, saw my kids. I, well, I couldn't see my kids. I was looking at the sky. I saw the sky. <laughs> Heard my kids. Um, played a word game. These are all things that make my heart sing. <laughs> Felt really good. Uh, then what happens? How can, how can I get back to that? You know, what does that mean? How did that work? How can I recreate those conditions? How come it's not always like that? How come we have to cry when our sleeping bags don't end up in our, you know, can't, we can't get them back in our stuff back? <laughs> Why can't it always be three people looking at the stars, you know, talking about what's wonderful? So we do this with our positive feelings. You know, we start to base our perceptions on those. We start to base our thinking and planning on those. Uh, we start to proliferate 
about how it could be, how it has been comparing uh, start to point fingers. You know, if only you were like this more often, it could be like this more often. If only you weren't like this more often, it wouldn't be like this more often. My fingers here too. But instead, you know, uh, we can learn from it. Right? Even the good things we can learn from. Even as we enjoy them, we can learn from them. What are the conditions that created them? Well, we borrowed two extra hammocks. We decided to take some time together that wasn't so busy. We enjoy words. We've created a culture in our family that words are fun and meaningful to us. So we can play a word game. What are the conditions that created this beautiful space? We don't have to. Um, we don't have to recreate those conditions, but we can learn. We can pay attention to what was happening when something was really lovely and balanced, and we can learn and we can pay attention to what was happening when something was really uh, difficult or fraught or appear to be difficult or fraught. This business this morning, I mean, computer stuff. Like, <laughs> it's not supposed to work. <laughs> we all know that. This is 2021. Like, why would it work? <laughs> or <laughs> why would we have all the right information? Or, you know, why would anyone have the keys to the castle? It's just human, being a human on this earth, you know. That's what we're doing together. But when we, when that feeling comes up and we act on that instead of acting on the out. And so practicing with this sutta, which is called the Honeyball Sutta because, um, So the, the bhikkhus, having delighted and rejoiced, the venerable Mahakachana's words rose from their seats, went to the Blessed One. After paying homage to him, they sat down at one side and told the Blessed One all that had taken place after he left, adding, then Venerable Sir, he went to the Venerable Mahakachana and asked him about the meaning. The Venerable Mahakachana expounded the meaning to us with these terms, statements, and phrases. Mahakachana is wise bhikkhus. Mahakachana has great wisdom. If you had asked me the meaning of this, I would have explained it to you in the same way that Mahakachana had explained it. Such is the meaning of this, and so you should remember it. When this was said, the Venerable Ananda said to the Blessed One, Venerable Sir, just as if a man exhausted by hunger and weakness came upon a honey ball, candy, a sweet morsel, Sometimes is the translation a sweet morsel. So too, venerable sir, any able-minded bhikkhu, wherever he might, whenever, wherever he might scrutinize with wisdom, the meaning of this discourse on the Dhamma would find satisfaction and confidence of mind. Venerable sir, what is the name of this discourse on the Dhamma? As to that, Ananda, you may remember this discourse on the Dhamma as the honey ball discourse. 
the sweet morsel. So for me, practicing with the Honeyball Sutra, practicing with this, um, this way the mind works so quickly to pick up its own problems and project them on reality. Um, what, I, what I try to do when possible uh, is see how close I can stay to that feeling level, that first, that first step out of the contact. I like this, I don't like this. I like this, I don't like this. I like this. Okay. So what? <laughs> when I was in college, I had this French teacher who I swear is a Buddhist. He was like this little skinny guy with a shaved head, tough French teacher. And, <laughs> and no matter how many years I took French, this is like 11 years or some crazy thing like that. I still couldn't really speak it or understand it. And I had to recite this poem and then talk about it. And I remember one, you know, not being able to really speak French. And so I said, I like it. You know, that's easy enough to say, remember, I like it. And he said in French, so what? <laughs> so what? And I think that was one of my earliest Buddhist lessons. So what? No, that's not interesting, whether you like something or not. Tell me about it. And so I think of that with this. Sutta, I like something, so what? You know, what, how can I stay balanced and centered in reality? Or even, or even more difficult, I don't like this, so what? You know, next my kids, they'll, they'll ask me what's for dinner. What's for dinner tonight? And I'll say, why does it matter? <laughs> why does it matter? <laughs> you're gonna like it or you're not gonna like it? <laughs> What you think of my dinner is none of my business, dear ones. <laughs> so what? You know, we have to be kinder and gentler with other people and our kids and our beloveds. Uh, but we can bring the hammer down on ourselves a little bit, you know, if we're learning and if we're trying to create a life in Dhamma. Uh, and we start to act on something because we like it, we start to act on something because we don't like it, we can ask ourselves, so what? <laughs> you know, rather the, the better question is, uh, is this skillful? Is this unskillful? Can I respond skillfully? Can I respond unskillfully? Can I respond in a wholesome way? Is what's happening right now wholesome? If it's not, then we need to act, but not because we don't like it, but because it's unwholesome, it's harmful. It brings harm into the world. We don't need to trust uh, whether we like something or not, but we can develop our practice so we can recognize what's true and right and wholesome and skillful and beautiful and cultivate that and recognize what's unwholesome and unskillful and unbeautiful and start to let go of that, you know, or act in a way that um, 
lessens that in the world. And we can do that by really starting to go with our gut. I like it. I don't like it. Stay right there. Okay, now I know I like it. I don't like it. That's good. That's data. My, my, my friend says, it's data. It's data. That's data. Now, what makes sense to act upon? Not that data, but reality. 